Woo, I like that horn. Uh, my, 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 my. My wife said, don't make a fool of yourself today. Let her rip. I like this choir. Amen. I, uh, I like this space. You know, the only thing, we, we're going to have to teach Lonnie Jones how to sway a little bit. He ain't, he ain't got it. He ain't got it. A few more lessons, though, and he will, I guarantee you. It is a humbling experience to see you here this morning in this place. And uh, I know it's already probably been explained, but we've fogged everything. We've killed everything. If you, got, say, if you get something, you didn't get it from here. Let me just tell you like that. We, you couldn't even walk in this building. It's all been fogged and cleaned and, and ready and will be every week. And <clears throat> we're doing everything we can. Uh, do y'all hear a, a, a roar back there? Maybe in the monitors? I don't know. Let the, let the monitors, if you got to have it, get, can y'all hear me back there? Y'all can? Good. All right. Good. Well, one verse of scripture this morning. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Give you just a moment to get there and say thank you again for being here. I know these are a little different circumstances. want you to feel welcome. If you need to wear a mask, you wear a mask. Uh, I've got one in my pocket here. If somebody comes and says, I want you to have I got one. Uh, I, I, I can put it on. But anyway, uh, you, you do what feels right to you. Okay. And we're going to get through this thing and keep going. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. And for 10 weeks, I've been wanting to say this. Would you stand in honor of the holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word of God? Amen. One verse, Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Oh, God, we ask you today. Come visit us in a supernatural way. God, uh, thank you for those that are in a place this morning. Thank you for those that are watching by live stream and will watch later on. Lord, I pray that what's said and done here would be a blessing to the precious name of Jesus and would further the kingdom of God here on this earth. Lord, would you take over my body and would you speak through me? Lord, I can't do it my own. You're going to have to do it. And so, God, you do that. We'll praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The men and women who came across the western seas to found a new nation on the shores of America. They were driven by a quench, a thirst for God. When the Mayflower dropped anchor off Cape Cod in November 1620, the pilgrim leaders uh, got together, 41 of the adults, and said, this is what we covenant together. It's called the Mayflower Compact. In the name of God, amen. We whose names are underwritten, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our king and our country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these present presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another, we covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body 
for our better ordering and perseverance of the furtherance of the ends aforesaid. In other words, this compact was a beginning of our nation that we were standing and we were going to be founded on the Word of God. This nation was founded on Christian principles. And I just want to take just a few moments. I know I'm going to get bombarded this afternoon, and it won't be by Christians. It'll be by other preachers. I've got preacher friends that think it's just ungodly that we have an American flag in our worship center. I want to just tell you just a moment this morning. I'm proud to be an American. I thank God for the United States of America. And I'll be honest with you, if you're not proud to live in America, then bless God, you ought to go find somewhere where you are proud to live in. And I believe that same thing about a church. If you're not happy with Woodland Hills Baptist Church, if this church doesn't melt your butter, there's over 100 Baptist churches within 10 miles of here. Find one that you do like and, and uh, go there and serve the Lord and be faithful. But I'm proud to be an American. There are some things given to us, no matter who you are, just because you're here. I'm thankful in America for the freedom of religion. I have a choice to carry my Bible or not carry my Bible. If you got your Bible here, would you lift it up? Praise God. You got a choice. You didn't have to bring your Bible. Why, my goodness, everything's going to be on the screen. We got a choice whether we can bring our Bible or not. I've got a choice to carry uh, my Bible, and I've got a choice to come to church. I've got a choice to pray to God. I have a choice to teach my children to be brought up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I've got a choice to express myself in songs and hymns and spiritual psalms. I've got a choice that I can lift up the name of Jesus. I've got a choice. I can live, listen to godly music. I've got a choice. I can brag on the name of Jesus. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We've got choices because we're living in America. I'm thankful for the freedom of speech in America. I can say what I want to say. Now, I know I don't like to hear what a lot of other uh, folks are saying. Uh, I don't want to hear all that. But we have to put up with that so that we have the freedom to proclaim the name of Jesus. Now, there are folks who say, well, we don't want a Muslim here. We don't want this here. We don't want it. You stand on the word of God. Our God's bigger than anybody else in this world. We don't have to back down to anybody. Uh, we've got free. I can say what I want to say. And they have to say what they want to say. If we shut them down, they have to shut me down. You see, so I'm thankful. I'm thankful I can walk into a trailer park or a neighborhood and I can tell folks, you don't have to go to hell anymore. There's a Redeemer who died on Calvary, who was buried, who rose again the third day. And if you by faith believe in Him, you can be saved this morning. I'm thankful you can do that in America there. I'm thankful it doesn't matter who your daddy is or who your mama was or what you've done or what you've been through. Jesus died died for you, buried, rose again, and ascended into heaven, and one day he's coming back. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful in America to be in a country where all men are created equal, where it doesn't matter that nobody is more important than anybody else. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what country you come from. It doesn't matter where you lived across the tracks or anything else. I'm telling you, when you cut us, we all bleed blood, and we go back to Adam is where we go 
back to. Adam was a man who destroyed this kingdom here on this earth, but Jesus is the one who put it back together. I'm thankful that we can still proclaim that in America today there. I'm thankful in America that we take a position for fighting for freedom. Everybody don't agree. Everybody don't like what's going on. But I want to tell you, this is, and this is not a political ad or anything, but my first time in 66 years, I heard a president of the United States get on national television and say the church is essential. The church is what's holding this thing together here. Let me tell you something this morning. If it were not for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, wrath would have already come down on this place. And so I thank God for the church. I thank God that we're fighting for freedom. I thank God for those young men and women who voluntarily joined the armed forces. They put themselves at risk. That any given time, they have to leave family. They have to leave home. They have to leave what they know to be good and go to some foreign soil with a no guarantee that they'll ever come back again. And if they do come back again, they may be come back physically handicapped or mentally, emotionally handicapped or may come back in a casket with a flag draped on. I thank God for people who've given their lives for us and for the freedom. I'm thankful for the way God has blessed America. My friends in Kenya have already had church. They're ahead of us. But I want to tell you, I, don't, I preached in three churches in Kenya that have a floor anywhere near like this. Most of those churches over there in Kenya, they are on a dirt floor. Most of them don't have walls. You see them coming out of the woods in the July heat. They're there. They're, not, they're sweating like I don't know what, but they want to praise the name of Jesus. I thank God in America, the poorest of us, are blessed according to the rest of the world. Most of us in this place get three meals a day. Some of you look like you're getting four or five meals a day. You're blessed. You've got a roof over your head. You've got fine clothes. You've got houses to live in. I thank God in America, I've got a right to choose a woman I want to marry. Amen? I thank God that I got to choose my lovely wife. Nobody chose. I, I was at, at a church in Shreveport, and the preacher, you talked with her, she, he had it mapped out who he wanted me to marry. Whoo! I mean, I, I thought, I still get wild dreams of waking up next to somebody looking like that. But I walked in the auditorium, down that aisle, and said, that's the one I want to marry, right there. Hmm? You can't do that in a lot of countries. I thank God for America. We as a church today need to be thankful to be Americans. What makes America great? Is it what we produce? <laughs> Is it our educational system? I mean, we're feeding most of the world. Our educational system, they claim second to none. I'd, I'd argue with that, but they, you know. Is it politics? Is it diversity of people? What, what, what do we have a right to say America is great? Is it because we're part of the free market? You can come to America, get a job, you can get an education, you can get health care there. What makes America great? Technology? I was thinking this morning driving over to Mason Creek, I remember the first computer I bought, a Commodore 64. That thing would hum. And about three or four minutes, it seemed like forever, it would finally be something on the screen. You'd say, oh my goodness. I remember sitting in an office in Fort Natchez, Texas, when a technical person told me, said, Preacher, 
we're going to put a 20 meg hard drive in here. You'll never need anything else. All you'll ever need. All you'll ever need. Do you know this little old phone here has a hundred times more power than that Commodore 64 does? We've seen that. Is it because of our technology that we're great? Is it because of, uh, what is it? I mean, everybody wants to move up. And I'm all for moving up. I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm, I don't like a lot of things we're moving up to. I was raised up going to Dallas-Fort Worth on the turnpike where you stopped every, I don't know, it wasn't ever, well, about 15 minutes or so. You went through this little old thing and you paid a toll. But we got sophisticated now. I got a bumper, a sticker. I just right on through. Nobody's paying Paul. You say, well, preacher, that's just wonderful. That's just wonderful. What is not so wonderful for those thousands who lost their jobs? Huh? I mean, what makes America? Do, how do you balance this thing of technology versus somebody got to have a job? As much as we do all of this technology and historically and all the real estate and the education, that alone does not secure America's greatness. What gives us the right to be called great? The Bible says righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach. You see, if America is going to be great and continue to be great, she will be great because of righteousness. That's what the Word of God says. I'm not making this up. Righteousness exalteth the nation. It won't be how much money we make. It won't be how many houses we build. It won't be how much oil we drill. It won't be how many schools we start or ethnic groups have moved up the ladder. It won't be how much real estate we've got or stocks and bonds or Dow Jones or growth and all of these. Success is because of righteousness. And there are three major things involved in righteousness. That is moral excellence and justice. And then just doing right. I mean, cutting it down to the quick. That's what it means. Right? Just do what's right. It's never wrong to do what's right. Just do what's right. Now, let me get into the, the principle of righteousness we have here. Righteousness exalted a nation. Now, we think of righteousness, and we think, oh, it's, uh, it's something we do. It's, it's uh, 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 a deed. It's an activity. Uh, it's a thing. But listen to me, before you get to the deed or the activity or the thing, righteousness is bound up in a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, before you can get to doing the deeds and the activities and all of the things that come with righteousness, you've got to get the one who is righteous. Righteousness is bound up in an ultimate person. Romans 3.25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. If you're looking for righteousness, you'll find it in Jesus. Now, what does that mean for us today? Well, it means that if America is going to be exalted and be great, America needs to know Jesus. Paul said in Philippians this, that I may know him. That I may know him. You know what Paul is saying? He said, look, I understand this self-righteous stuff. I was a Pharisee. I understand that. I I, I kept the law. I fasted. I I was circumcised. I was trained in the best schools. You talk about self-righteousness. I understand self-righteousness. But listen to me now. When I met Jesus... I took all my self-righteousness and I threw it out. 
But see, my self-righteousness is like filthy rags upside the Lord Jesus Christ. See, righteousness is bound up in Jesus. I'm not righteous because of me. I'm righteous because of him there. You know what every city in America needs? They need Jesus. You know what every community in America needs today? They need Jesus. What every home in America needs today? They need Jesus. What every school needs in America today? They need Jesus. What every person needs in America today is they need Jesus. That's why the church is given the task of reaching people for the kingdom of God. We cannot let up on evangelism. We cannot let up on helping folks and doing ministry and doing all that we can. We don't do it to feed them to make them look good. We do it to get an invitation to tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. What good does it do to feed somebody and walk out of the house and let him go on and go to hell? We tell them about Jesus. Righteousness is bound up in Jesus. But then secondly, righteousness is a distinct position. It's a distinct position. Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all that have sinned. Can I tell you here this morning, you've sinned. You've sinned. You inherited it. You got it. We don't have a nursery today. Hopefully there'll be a day when we will have. Uh, but uh, you don't have to go over to the nursery to teach those kids how to be a sinner. One of them got a toy in the middle of the room. The other one wants it. They don't go and say, could I borrow that toy for a minute? They just go over there and grab it. Well, how did they get that wicked nature? My child doesn't do that. I think probably a lot of you folk who homeschooled your child may have a different idea of who the teachers are right now. It, it may be that your child may have been part of the problem all along. Amen? We're all like that. We inherited a sinful nature. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What is a unique position? I'm glad you asked that. This is our position. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I'm not righteous because of me. I'm not righteous because of the deeds I do. I'm righteous because Jesus Christ died on Calvary for my sin. And he roved me in his righteousness there. There is none righteous, no, not one. I'm glad that when I throw all my righteousness away and I learn to lean, what a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arm, what a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arm. You're here today and you say, I want to have righteousness. You try everything you want to. You'll end up with a bunch of filthy rags is what you'll end up with. You got to come like the publican came, beating on his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And by faith, you believe that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. You can't get righteousness by praying to Mecca. You can't get righteousness by reading after Joseph Smith. You can't get righteousness by rubbing Buddha's belly. You can't get righteousness by confessing to a pope or by praying to Mary. 
You can't get righteousness by praying to some reincarnated cow. You can't get righteousness by going to church on Saturday night or Sunday. You can't get righteousness by letting the good outweigh the bad or by getting baptized in a great church or joining a Baptist church. You can't get righteousness by being born in a good family, by giving money to the poor. You can't get righteousness by speaking in tongues. And you can't get righteousness by being slapped upside the head. There's only one way to get righteousness, and that's through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. Woo, if we get our righteousness, it'll be from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Man, I pray that'll be our righteousness bound up in Jesus. It's a distinct position. I've got to hurry. Righteousness becomes an uncompromisingly habit. One of the toughest things to do after Case preaches, he preaches so fast and it's short. And you've gotten three weeks of this shortness, so just sit back and relax and uh, just, just, you know, let, let, let me just kind of get through what I'm going to get through with. Amen? Well, righteousness is bound up in Jesus. It's a distinct position, and then it becomes an uncompromisingly habit. When you get Jesus and you're filled with the Holy Ghost of God and He's in you, and then you begin to uh, positionally be righteous, and you've got a position, a positional. Now, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Your positional righteousness comes when you get saved. Jesus gives that to you. Now, listen, if you're any kind of good Christian at all, your positional righteousness needs to become practical righteousness. If you're still hanging on, well, I'm saved, I'm saved. I can live any way I want to live, but I'm saved. Well, you, something's not right with you. Something's not right with you. This third point is righteousness becomes an uncompromising habit. 1 Corinthians 10.31 has always been one of my life uh, scriptures. Whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all for the glory of God. But some of you are looking around and you're saying, uh, Preacher, I, I want to know how to be righteous. What, 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 what's the purpose? What's all this? Now, you can look around, but I can save you a lot of time. Micah 6.8 will save you a lot of time right there. Listen to what it says. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of thee? Here they are. But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. You know what the Lord wants us to do today? He's shown us what he wants us to do. We're to uh, walk, uh, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with thy God. Do justly. You know what that means? That means do what's right. Do what's right. Don't sit here like looking at a calf at a new gate. Most of us do what we think is going to help us out. When are we going to come to the time where we say, Lord, I'm going to do what's right. If it means I've got to pay for it, I've got to pay for it. But I'm going to do what's right. Then he said, not only do justly, do what's right, but he said to love mercy. You say, preacher, we all love mercy. And stop being so ugly to people. I see Christians sometimes in restaurants. I think, man, I'm ashamed to even let anybody know I know you. There's some people we won't even go out to eat with anymore. If you're thinking you're going to a restaurant and they're going to cook like mama cooked, just stay home and let mama cook. I mean, you know, don't be ugly. We need to learn to zip our mouth up and not be ugly to people. You say, well, preacher, they, 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 
How'd the Lord treat you when you were turning your back on Him and He was trying to call you and you were saying, I don't want anything to do with you. And He said, all right, big boy, you're on your own. No, He came back and treated you and I with mercy. I was reading the paper early this morning. I've been nauseated every morning for three or four hours. It's just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. So I've been praying. <laughs> I've been praying. Lord, i got to preach Sunday, and I can't be nauseated Sunday. So I, I guess God just let me stay awake all night. I slept about two hours last night. If you don't go to sleep, you don't get nauseated. So I was reading the paper early this morning online, and they've got what they call the zipper effect. Anybody here ever heard of the zipper effect? Anybody? Anybody here ever heard of the zipper effect? It's what hacks me off. Now, this comes from Heloise. I don't think she knows what she's talking about. She says the zipper effect, it's a true thing. You see, when I'm in that right lane and I'm going to Dallas on I-20, and that sign says three miles ahead, the left lane closed. And then I two miles ahead, the left lane closed. One mile ahead, the left lane's closed. 500 feet the left lane, and there's still people zipping by me. It hacks me off. But no, 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 go get you a Longview News Journal. Heloise says that traffic will flow better if you'll use both lanes right up to the time that you merge. It's called the zipper effect. I never had heard of it. I, you know, I thought I was an ignorant person, but I guess I'm along with everybody else. <laughs> I mean, those are the times, if you want me to know, if you want to know, you can ask my wife. Now, I will tell you something about my wife. She don't drive a whole lot when we're together. There's a reason for that. Uh, she's just a much safer driver than I am and slows it down. But she would get aggravated because I got aggravated. But in all these surgeries, driving back and forth, She's getting aggravated, too. <laughs> she said, I'm sitting over here, and then people said, zipping by me. I said, the zipper effect. Get on over in the left lane and let her zip right on down through there, huh? Well, dude, what's right? Stop acting so ugly, and then walk humbly. Walk humbly. Stop thinking like the whole world hinges on you. Like you can't be replaced. I never will forget years ago <clears throat> when I was 17, going on 18, I had ulcers. And uh, the doctor came in and, and he said, uh, you know, you, you can choose how you're going to live your life. You can worry about everything and think you're going to heal everything and solve everything and you're going to die before you're 30 years old. Or you can learn that there is a God and you're not Him. You do what you can and then you move on. I decided I'd do what I can and move on. I, I wanted to live longer than 30 years old. Stop thinking that the world can't operate without you. An old man years ago said, take that glass of water, put your finger down in it. He said, take it out. And however long that water stays separated, is how long they'll remember you when you're gone. Now, you're a church that says, oh, preacher, 
we love you. We'll remember you. Yeah, you will. No, life will move on. God moves on. None of us are indispensable. I want to tell you, all we've got is because of the grace of God. It's because of the grace of God. You say, no, preacher, I work hard for what I got. He's the one who gave you the strength to work hard. You do justly, you love mercy, and you walk humbly. That means whether somebody's looking at you or not looking at you. You do justly, you love mercy, and you walk humbly. That means whether you're on your cell phone or not, whether you're in your car or not, whether you're coming up with Facebook or whether you're downloading from iTunes, whether you're stepping into the voting booth, whether you're coming to church, whether you're singing in the choir, whether you're singing in the shower. You do justly. Now let me close that thing out. Sin is a reproach. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. You're born a sinner. Your nature is wicked. There are multitudes in the valley who have to make a choice whether they'll trust Jesus and walk by faith. There is a reproach to the humiliation of a nation. The great American dream that we know it and talk so much about is steadily dissolving because of sin. It's steadily going down. We came through the Civil War. We came through World War I. We were poor winners. We didn't know how to give God thanks for what he had done. The flapper age came. The roaring 20s came. America's out of control, self-indulgent. Then in 29, the depression came. Stock market crashed. Listen, what's happening in America today didn't just start yesterday. It didn't just start last month. When character disintegrates, there's a loss of liberty. Now, now let, me, I, I, let me just give you a little lesson here that you might be interested in you might not and that is this the government cannot give you something that it doesn't first take away from you now you just brought that down they cannot give you something it first doesn't take away from you see that's how the government works that's why when you see a hurricane everybody's saying oh what's the federal government going to do i tell you what i'd do if i was federal government i'd tell them you handle it boys that's what we do here in East Texas. We'll try to do everything, you know, we get everything that we want to come into us. But I want to tell you, sitting on a stump waiting on the federal government to do it, people have been hoodwinked into thinking. And see, when the government starts doing that, then we become uh, immune. We, we say, well, the federal government is going to take care of us. The federal government is going to take care of us. I, uh, I don't know. I'm not an economic person. I'm a visionary spender. That's my new title. <laughs> visionary spender. I wonder sometimes, I, I don't know if what we're doing in this stimulus package is going to help us or not. I mean, we got our check. I'm happy. But now people want another check. And I believe if, if I'm not just going crazy, when we get another check, they'll want another check after that. And some of our people who are running for office have already said, we're running on the fact that everybody in America ought to have a guaranteed monthly income. Well, bless God. 
I uh, read a story about a guy who had some wild pigs. He wanted to catch them, but he never could catch them. And uh, the guy said, I'll catch them for you if you want them caught. Yeah, I want them caught. So the guy went out in the field, and he put out the corn, left. Pigs came, ate it, and they left. Next day, he put out more corn. Pigs came, they ate it. Third day, he set a fence post right over there. Pig didn't pay no attention to it. They came on, ate the corn, went on. Next day, he set a fence post over here. They, pigs came. They came on. Until one day, the fence posts were all around. They still coming to eat corn. No problem. Hey, the corn's still there. Then he started putting wire up between each post. Pig didn't pay any attention to it until it got to a place where the wire was all the way around except for one place called a gate. And the pigs would run in through the gate. They'd eat the corn. They'd go on out. Everybody happy. Until one day they came in through the gate to eat the corn. And the guy put the fence, the, the gate up. Now the pigs are caught. I, I don't. There are some things I don't like. And I've tried to narrow them down to make sure they're the things that God don't like. My whole ministry in these last 10 years, maybe 15, has been different church members trying to convince me that what this world is doing is not as bad as what I think it's doing. You see, the Word of God teaches against homosexuality. You say, well, I've got a son. I, I had a brother. But I want to tell you, it doesn't make it right. I'm telling you, the Word of God says it's an abomination. I, I hate abortion. I hate divorce. You say, yeah, but in my case, hey, I know everybody's got a case. I'm just telling you, though. You know, it's like this. Some of you, now don't get angry with me because some of you are here who have done this. I hate Brussels sprouts. Amen? I mean, I hate them. But some of you sweet women of God have said, Preacher, I've got a recipe. I don't care what recipe you got. I hate Brussels sprouts. You say, yeah, but I put cheese on. I don't care if you put cheese on. All those things are adjectives. Cheese, cream cheese, cottage cheese, uh, goat cheese, they're all adjectives. Brussels sprouts is the noun. I hate Brussels sprouts. So you tell me all you want to. Well, yeah, but if you tried it, I ain't trying it. I hate Brussels sprouts. All right? And that's the way we ought to be with sin in this book right here. If God says, I don't like it and I don't approve of it, you say, well, yeah, but this is society. This is 2020. I don't care what it is. Those are adjectives that are trying to make us compromise. And it's killing our country. Joseph Stalin said this, America is like a healthy body. Its resistance is threefold. Stalin said, it's patriotism, it's morality, and it's spiritual life. And he said, if we can underline these three areas, America will collapse from within. And this morning right now, there are Southern Baptist churches who are preaching against having a flag in this building. There are schools who are saying you can't wear a flag on your shirt to school. Mm. 
Some of you are old enough to remember 1959. I was only seven years old, but I read about it in history. The great speech that Nikita Khrushchev made. And this is just, just to take word for word. This is what, I'm say, what he said, and I'm quoting. We will take America without firing a shot. We'll bury you. We can't expect the American people to jump from capitalism to communism. Hmm? This is 59. Say, my goodness, that's been a long time ago. This didn't just start yesterday, folks. The devil's always patient. He's always patient. We can't expect the American people to jump from capitalism to communism, but we can assist their elected leaders in giving them small doses of socialism until they awaken one day to find they have communism. Ooh, I wish I had time to stay there a while. And he said this, I'm still quoting, we do not have to invade the United States, we will destroy you from within. And that's exactly what we're seeing happening in America today. You know why the President of the United States, God love me, I don't, I'm not going to guess whether he's saved or not. I will tell you he respects God more than anybody I've seen in the office in a long time. I will tell you that. But you know why the President of the United States has to get on live television to tell this country that churches are essential? Because we in our churches have made ourselves non-essential. We've said, if you want to come, you come. But if you don't, if grandma stopped by or there's something else you'd rather do, if, you know, I mean, my goodness, everybody ought to go to Canton on Sunday, get them a corn dog and walk around. Everybody ought to go to Six Flags. Everybody ought to go to, everybody ought to, go to that cowboy. You see, you come when you want to and don't when you don't want to. That's called non-essential. We've made our churches non-essential. And I'm telling you, if we're going to see America exalted, it's not going to be because the White House got right with God. It's going to be because of people in the pews of the churches get right with God. I'm almost through. Let me go. Gibbons wrote this, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. Five things that caused the Roman Empire to crash. Listen to what they are in order. Number one, rapid increase of divorce and undermining of the sanctity of the home. Number one, have you ever seen that more so than what's happening today? I mean, good grief. We watch HVTV, but we have to turn it off when two of them of the same kind go to get married and live there. I ain't going to watch the crap. I ain't going to watch it. I'm not going to do it. I may, we may give, uh, get the TV. Did I say crud? <laughs> I apologize. That was, that's uncalled for. Have we got any kids that have bingoed? Huh? Okay. Higher and higher taxes is number two. Mm. Anybody here not paying enough taxes? If you would, let me know. Because I'm telling you, see, you've got to add all those things up. I mean, you go down to buy a candy bar and you're going to pay a tax on it. Chocolate is an essential. <laughs> it should not be taxed. 
the third thing, praise God, shazam, amen. Did we get a bingo? We got a bingo, amen, all right. Our kids have been playing bingo by the words of the sermon. I forgot that word. <laughs> all right. Now, here's number three. The mad craze for pleasure. Sports becoming more popular, exciting, and brutal. Can you imagine a guy making $30 million a year for 15 years and then want to sue the company he works for because somebody hurt his head? What'd you do with that $30 million a year for 15 years? I mean, if you're going to play football, look, expect to get hit. If you're not, I don't play because I don't want to get hit. I used to play. I know what it's like. I, you know, I, I, uh-uh. No, I'm a lover. I'm not into that. <laughs> and then the fourth thing for the Roman Empire, the building of gigantic armies and armaments when the real enemy was the decadence from within. It's within. The decay... Decay of religion is number five. Faith turned into form and ritual, and religion loses touch with life. God help us not to go there. It's only a matter of time until we fall on our face if we don't repent. We're, we're tripping and we're stumbling right now. What happened to the days where kids were taught respect for authority and accountability to God? You remember those days when you'd come home and say, Mama, my teacher, she didn't do me right. Well, let's go in the bedroom. And after a whipping, I'd say, well, maybe she did do me right. Mm. I, I say it without any reservation again. If you don't like America and you don't like this flag, best thing you do is go find somewhere where you do like. Because, see, when you begin to teach, now we're opening our daycare June the 1st. We have 13 pages of regulations added to the 360-something pages of regulations before. And you say, how in the world? I'll tell you how we're going to do it. Now, we're going to walk by faith and do it. But most places are going to have to shut down. And then the federal government, remember, that's how they are. They don't, they don't give you anything until they take something away from you. They're going to come in and say, look, daycares can't afford to operate, so we're going to have your children at our school. And from six months all the way on up to they graduate, they're going to put that stuff in our children's minds. And they're going to educate our children. You say, preacher, you don't know what you're talking about. I do. i got to finish. When Aaron sits on the edge of his seat, I know i got to go. But <laughs> I had my 12th grader came home. Jeremy, raised in a Christian home, same church, same school, his entire life. And he came home one day, and he said, Daddy, why do you not like homosexuals? I said, oh, son, I, I do. I just don't approve of what they're doing. He said, well, some of my best friends are homosexuals. And you know what it is? I got to looking back. I said, how can that be? He's raised in a Christian home. He had nightly devotion. We had prayer time. He was at church every time the doors were open. How do you come to that conclusion? Because for 12 solid years, that was pumped into his head. 
Now, there's some teachers here today, and I want to tell you, you got my utmost respect. There's some of you, this is the Bible Belt, and we get away with a whole lot right here. But there's some of you, before you die, you're going to have to turn and walk away from the school because you're saying, I can't, I can't do that anymore. I can't do that anymore. See, when you begin to teach your child that they came from slime or they came from an ape, and listen, our young people are not deranged or idiots. They're sharp. They need to be challenged. They're sharp. So when you begin to teach all of our young people that you came from a slime or you came from some ape, then there's some legitimate questions that need to be answered. For example, if I came from slime and I came from an ape and there's no God at all, then why am I even in church today? What's the purpose of my existence? What does it matter if I live for God or not? If there's no God, what difference does it make if I live for God or not? See, all those become legitimate questions. Here's the bottom line, I'm through. People who support those movements want to destroy America. And they want to destroy churches, and they want to destroy Bible-toting, gun-toting Christians. They'd like to wipe you and I out. Now let me just let you consider one thought, and I'm through. Consider this with me. How many hospitals, universities, orphanages, homeless shelters, abuse shelters, how many of those have been founded by the ACLU or the American Atheist Society? Huh? Not a one. Not one. It is the church. It is the people of God. Even our major colleges now in the Ivy League, Harvard, Yale, those were started as Christian seminaries to teach men how to preach the Word of God with fire. And now you can't even quote scripture on one of them. You see, everything we've got in America, America has been blessed by God. And the Word of God says, righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. You won't find a country anywhere. You won't find a church anywhere. You won't find a home anywhere that has turned their back on God that has ever improved. It's always a road down. Father, thank you today. Oh, Father, would you move in this place? Lord, let your will be done in lives today. Lord, I don't know what you want to do here. I pray for our country. I pray for our leaders today, God. You would give them wisdom. Lord, uh, we believe you. And according to your word, the king's heart is in your hand. There's some people who think, I don't love God. I don't want nothing to do with God. And yet you're still in control of them. So God, would you have your way in those lives? And I pray for folk here today that may need to make a decision for you. Lord, maybe need to be saved. Maybe they've never come to a time where they admitted that Jesus died, was buried, rose again. But today they want to put their faith in you. God, help them today to come forward. Take that stand. Maybe there are some who need to join this church during these last weeks of being here and being faithful. And Lord, 
They want to come this morning, be a part of this church. Lord, would you have your way? Just do what you want to do. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.